watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we're going to take a look at four new movies. Anti-Birth, The Light Between Oceans, Complete Unknown, and The Hollers. And as always, we're going to rate these on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And Send It Back means... Life's too short for that, miss. Jason, we have a special guest. We surely do. Uh, so the first movie we're reviewing this week happens to be a Natasha Leone horror movie. And so I figured why not call up a friend of the show, Joshua Grinnell, who is an expert in Natasha Leone horror movies, having made one himself. <laughs> uh, so uh, so we are going to have the, uh, the thrill of having Joshua here with us. He is here with us right now. Welcome, Joshua. <laughs> Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> Uh, let's let's, uh, let's queue up anti-birth. In a desolate community full of drug-addled marines and rumors of kidnapping, a wild-eyed stoner named Lou wakes up after a wild night of partying with symptoms of a strange illness and recurring visions as she struggles to get a grip on reality while stories of conspiracy spread. Whatever's inside of me is infecting my brain. <laughs> my body. <laughs> Are you having difficulty remembering things? You feel like, like somebody switched the channel. Where? Maybe Gabriel knows someone who's seen something like this before. Yeah, I don't think anyone's seen something like this before. We just finished watching Anti-Birth. We're right off it. Yes, yeah. So, um, guys, if you remember the last time that we had Joshua here with us, it was um, a similar setup where we watched the movie High Rise uh, in its entirety and then just went straight into an immediate uh, reaction afterward. We have just watched Anti-Birth, which might explain why so far we're off to a bit of a bit of a bit of a lurching start because <laughs> I think the movie caught us off guard in some ways (laughs) (laughs) yeah we haven't even talked about it amongst ourselves no we have been silent we have we have we have placed gag orders on ourselves so that we can just be fresh and give it all to you right now but first uh we as we sit here are just four days removed from the closing night of showgirls the musical (laughs) Uh, which has consumed Joshua's life for quite some time and which was just the most triumphant, amazing, phenomenal, hilarious thing. Uh, It was their opening night and closing night. And uh, if you are local, hopefully you also had a chance to check it out. Joshua, how are you doing four days (laughs) afterward? Well, thank you uh, so much for your support and um, also your fantastic review. Um... I'm good. You know, I'm a little beat up just from the physical exhaustion of it because, as you know, uh, I do um, a lot of prep work and then it's like one day, you know, and we may maybe do two shows in one day and then it's over. And this was a lot of prep work and a lot more rehearsals than we're used to and um, 22 songs and a band and um, a full real, you know, musical. And then we did it for like a month, you know, so... Um, but I feel good. I feel really good. I'm just really proud of it. I'm yeah. really, you know, I'm really happy with the way it turned out and the audience response. Yeah. 
You also had to kiss a girl and touch boobs. Yes, that's right. And it's good that you were there at the beginning of the run because Mm. at the end of the run, I stopped kissing April because uh, I'm gay. No. Uh, (laughs) Because, uh, you know, I'm playing Crystal Connors in the show. Mm -hmm. And playing Crystal Connors um, as Peaches Christ. So Peaches Christ is actually playing Crystal Connors and I'm playing Peaches Christ. It's like so, you know, <laughs> I just matter. have to wrap my head around it. It's a um, Russian nesting doll. Right. So I was like prepared to do whatever it took to play Crystal the right way. And April, who is phenomenal, is Nomi Malone. And not enough can be said. Mm-mm. You kind of have to see her to believe her. And I kept yeah. do- saying that in promo and, yeah. and publicity. And really, it wasn't until people came that they were yeah. like, Oh, I get it now. Absolutely. Um, That's how it was for me. Uh, Tour de force. You can't be prepared for that performance until you see it. Mm -mm. It's just simply, there's no way you can prepare for it. No, exactly. And it's it's something intimidating when you are performing um, alongside her. I knew that the train was going to leave the station on this show, and April was the conductor, (laughs) and that the rest of us just had to uh, keep up. And... um, and so when she and I negotiated how much touching mm. there would be, you know, she was very clear, like, you are Crystal Connors. You molest me. Mm. You know, you, you you have more than permission. I want, you know, it will help me mm. the more. And so it was surreal touching wow. and playing with breasts and grabbing yeah. boobs and fingering a vagina and, yeah. you know, and doing it all on stage in front of people who were, you could feel the shock in the audience, you Absolutely. know, um, and then when we made out at the end and, and at the end of the run, um, I stopped making out with her because I started to get a cold, I, my, oh. my exhaustion mm-hmm. and she was leaving for Burning Man. And I said to her, I'm like, and she's like that kind of performer who's going to do whatever it takes. And I said, no, I'm. I would. It would destroy me to think that I'm mm-hmm. going to get you sick. Like we can fake it. It's still at the end of the day theater, right? You know? So, and do you think the cold was your gay body just sending <laughs> antibodies to just be uh, like, we need to shut this down it was somehow? My, it was my anti-birth. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it was. Um, it was uh, just uh, an exhaustion cold because yeah. it wasn't even it didn't even feel like a real cold. Mm-hmm. And of course, I was because I'm not used to singing that much and actually doing some real singing. Usually, Peaches kind of talks sings her mm-hmm. way through songs, but this was like, oh no, I have to like I have to be on with the music. I have to like hit certain notes. I have a lot to sing. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to do like real performer things, like drink tea and rest my voice and vocal warm-ups it was really yeah it was a really cool new challenge for me yeah it was so awesome to see the first night and the last night and to just see how i mean it started off amazing and it just got more confident from there Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh so it was phenomenal and fantastic uh certainly one of many jewels in your crown uh another jewel being the film all about evil Mm. uh starring one natasha leone that's a good segue thank you (laughs) i was looking for it and it came yeah uh so what can you tell us about directing natasha leone in a horror film um well i guess i mean it it's sort of god you know what's funny is uh I did show Girls the Musical at the Victoria Theater, right. and I did All About Evil at the Victoria Theater. There's and another segue I could have used. And April, <laughs> in many ways, kind of reminded me a lot of Natasha, and probably it was being in that environment mm. and having a and directing a show where the the uh, entire thing kind of is colored by one person's performance. Mm. And mm-hmm. I very much feel that way about All About Evil. Thomas Decker is a very competent co-star and mm. very talented, but All About Evil is really. You know Natasha's um, 
uh, spectacle, you right. know, and and uh, and and I really uh, had to trust her. I was already a fan of hers going into it. I had seen her in tons of movies. I loved um, Slums of Beverly Hills. I mm-hmm. just adored it. And she was even in movies I didn't love, like American Pie or something. Like you know right. when it's like, mm-hmm. but I love that girl yeah. and I love what she's doing. Even I might, I might not like this movie. I loved her in Party Monster. Mm-hmm. Slum, uh, uh, yeah. but I'm a cheerleader, so I knew that she was great, and I knew she was talented. I knew she was competent, but um, but we had to figure this out together because it was a, it's a crazy performance to ask someone to do, mm-hmm. and um, and she had to go from being a mousy librarian, a quiet wallflower, to a homicidal maniac, you know, um, and I would say the experience was amazing. You know, she's a total pro. She's very, very serious about acting. And uh, and, and 100%, um, her anxiety, her neurosis, her drama is for the movie. Right. So I really value her. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I really, you know, I, I, you know, I like anyone who's... And like any performer, I think we connected pretty early on maybe because I'm also a performer and mm-hmm. I'm also think that she admired the fact that I was Peaches Christ in a way that other actresses might not <laughs> she because of the movies she had been in and because of the filmmakers she had worked with um she really understood our world mm-hmm. and she didn't yeah. she didn't trivialize it at all and she didn't dismiss it she actually really respected me for it if that makes sense and so we connected really pretty early on mm-hmm uh, it's such a great performance of hers, and uh, you know it came at a time uh, when she wasn't as active in um, in, in a, she wasn't showing up as much. She mm-hmm. was kind of on the road back to uh, being the th- thriving working actress she is today, and that was such a pivotal moment uh, mm-hmm. to carry this movie and to go to the extremes that uh, that the character goes. Uh, I don't think I can think of many other horror movies that she's done uh, aside from that. And now this, I was thinking the Freeway sequel was kind of a horror movie, <laughs> Confessions of a Trick kind Baby. Of. Yeah, it's like a dark, uh, dark fantasy or mm-hmm. something. It, it's a uh, yeah, a horror, a dark yeah. yeah. But uh, but 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 in terms of true horror, uh, we have All Out Evil, and now we have Anti Birth. But is this a horror movie? What do we think? I, in some ways, it reminds me a little bit of uh, of All About Evil in terms of it's not it's not a straight up horror movie. Mm-hmm. It exists in a genre world. I feel like, obviously, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, it's, it doesn't it doesn't um, doesn't follow the rules at all. <laughs> no, um, and it's it, to me. Okay, so I'm going to throw some things out to yes. you guys and see what you thought. Please. I thought. A lot of David Cronenberg while yes. watching it. Mm-hmm. Body and, horror. Yeah. And, and and I kept thinking like, oh, this is body horror. Oh, mm-hmm. this is body horror. But in a very specifically uh, modern way that I thought was really uh, uh, relatable. And it played into people's fears about, um, well, being a mess in yeah. a way. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I kept thinking about David Cronenberg and, and David Lynch to some degree. Mm-hmm. The Davids. Yeah, sure, um, sure. But not the Davids. But the directors no. from uh, Swiss, Swiss Army, Army Man. Man. Those are the Daniels. The Daniels. <laughs> oh, those are the Daniels. <laughs> Not what the are, Daniels. What are the brothers Davids. from Stranger Things? Oh, the Duffer Brothers. The Duffer Brothers. <laughs> it's I always of, a D. I thought about them a little bit, too, while watching yeah. this. I, I don't know why exactly. Maybe because of the monster element. Yeah. Um, and 
sort of the aesthetic. Uh, it had a very strong aesthetic. That yeah. kind of in the same way that they were very driven by their aesthetic in a way that you know I would say Cronenberg less so. The way that the the music merged with the styling merged with the mood mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. was reminiscent of of the way that they also merged those things in stranger things i think and you know what i was thinking and i is the connection between psychology now mm-hmm. like like mm-hmm. depression mm-hmm. um anxiety like how that's showing up in horror movies in a very specific way and i feel like stranger things is a lot about that mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's it, on a deeper level than maybe things like Carrie and other, you know, the, the movies that it's referencing, like right. Poltergeist and stuff. And I felt that way about this. Like, hmm. it, it's playing with our own fear of mental illness in some ways. Like, what where you were like, what part of this is the movie mm-hmm. universe and what part of this is in her head? Right. You know, and, and playing with, with that, which I think with, with um, depression and drugs and treatments and... Uh, abuse of drugs and alcoholism um and i felt that way with stranger things where it's like well i mean without spoiling either you know both are playing with what's real and what's not Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. absolutely there's like a whole ptsd element here because it's Mm -hmm. like takes place in this military town and they've had these experiences there's also like a sci-fi definitely a sci-fi um feel to it that's Mm -hmm. a lot of Mm -hmm. um, questions about space and Um, the military which like again the stranger things parallel where um, you don't know how much of this is a conspiracy mm-hmm. and that the the man actually mm-hmm. is p- pulling the strings here and knows what's going on. Yeah. And even the way it ends, the way they played with that was right. so bizarre. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and I'm still not totally sure I understand the ending of Anti-Birth. Yeah. But I quite liked it. <laughs> it is. It's a great closing shot. Uh, so I didn't you know. We're talking about the movie right now in very serious tones. But I will say... <laughs> That for for most of it, I did not think it was intended to be a serious film. Uh-huh. Uh, it seemed very silly. No, it seemed like the uh, like the other movie, uh, Stranger, Strangers with Candy movie. <laughs> Natasha Leone is like a young Jerry Blank. Uh-huh. A lot of like one liners. Yeah. Uh, well, it seemed it seemed like you know what we is, would we call this like a mumblecore horror film. It felt very like mumblecoreish because you know it, it was very 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 lo-fi. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It had for a very long time. You're like, where is this going? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of little scenes that don't really seem to lead anywhere. The train does not leave the station for a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then it seems like if you if you are a fan of Natasha and of Chloe Sevigny and you know that they're good friends then you're like, okay, they just want to like goof around in this movie together. Right. And yeah. Natasha, it seems like, I'm like, is she even being scripted? Well, uh, I mean, it's funny that you say that because I especially felt that way mm. being like her friend. Right, yeah, no. And you know, like it was sort of um, definitely, it's interesting that you say that because I was thinking the whole time like, I wonder if these guys realize like how much of this is Natasha. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like because of course I know, right? You know, yeah. like yeah. Um. So yeah, a lot of it. Yeah. I mean, clearly was Natasha doing yeah. Natasha. Yeah, exactly. Which is, you know, great because Very Natasha. I would call that the highlight of the film. And yeah. she's just yeah. wildly entertaining and so smart and funny. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that some of the, a lot of that dialogue, like those those uh little um. There's anecdotes and, yeah, and those throwaway one-liners. remarks yeah. that that weed cough oh yeah the weed cigarette cough. cigarette weed <laughs> cough that comes up out of nowhere every couple of minutes really yeah. really tickled me yeah yeah you know it's uh i think that so after we watched the film just 
out of a lack of any context or reference for who this filmmaker was, his name is Danny Perez, we looked up a video of Danny talking at Sundance with Natasha and Chloe about the film, and we were surprised to find him and both leading ladies speaking in tones of like social realism um, about the film, uh, which I think possibly maybe informed the direction that we've been talking about so far. But I feel like maybe if he had in his mind the vision of this social realist movie, that is somewhat a tension with his with the leading performance that Natasha gives, uh, in the sense that she is kind of hamming it up Natasha style, mm-hmm. and um, and she certainly commits to all of like you know like the madness and the craziness of this arc that she has to go on, but the rest of the time, like having only been around Natasha a little bit at film festivals. I know what the Natasha show looks like, you know, right, right, right. like when she's just entertaining everybody around her, cracking everybody up. And, you know, you can kind of see that playing out, even the way that Chloe laughs at her. Like it was, it was fun. I will say this also, Chloe 70 tends to be kind of a more somber, serious screen presence, but it was great watching her be light around Natasha mm-hmm. and just watching Natasha crack her up on camera mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because that's part of Chloe 70 that most people don't get to see. And they only see like the Drew Drogi, um self-serious <laughs> Chloe parody of herself. But, uh, we heard a little bit of the Natasha show with, in your interview with Clea Duvall. Oh, that's right. Week. Yeah, yeah. When I did the interview oh, with did Clea, you interview Clea, I did. Yeah, when they were here for intervention at uh, at Frameline, and, uh, and Natasha was in the background, just like repeatedly like interrupting and yelling at Clea while we were talking. Oh, really? Where did you? Because I, was, I, I was, the mezzanine. You were you had a thing that night because I asked Natasha, but I came over and hung out with them right afterward. Yeah, yeah. yeah this was before the screening. Oh God, that was so. Weird. Did you see the Q and A afterwards where she no. was saying, "Oh God, yeah. oh, no. <laughs> very." It was very much the Natasha show. It was very entertaining. And she was doing stuff like like looking at me in the audience and going, Joshua, like into the microphone, you know, stuff like that, like in front of the whole audience. And they don't know what she's doing. Oh, God. She's, yeah, she's totally entertaining. Yeah. Um, yes. And I bet Clea and Chloe have similar relationships with her. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a drag queen named after Jesus right. and I don't compete for the comedy, you know, when I'm when I'm hanging out with her. You know yeah. what I mean? Like. Uh, we, I think, play off each other well, but it's the Natasha show. And, yeah. and, and you know, and it, I'm fine to give it to her because it's so good, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I just have to bring up that yeah. your your uh, listeners may not know, because I actually promoted Anti-Birth um, when it was here for, I think, another hole in the head. And, uh, and they asked me to promote it, but I was out of town, so I didn't get to see it. And uh, somehow... I completely missed the fact that Meg Tilly is in yes. this movie. Yes. And I'm kind of like shocked by that more than anything. Super shocked. Yeah. Super shocked. Like, guys, we looked it up and she has not been in a theatrically released movie uh, since like 1995. Wow. Uh, or 94 it's amazing. Even. Like she was she... in that Body Snatchers remake in the oh, right. early 90s. Uh-huh. And that was one of the last things that she was in um, in terms of like an actual movie. She won an Academy Award? She was nominated for Agnes of God, right? Which also had a a birth. Birth in New York? Yes, (laughs) yes. Oh, my God. Agnes of God. It's quite a good movie, actually. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. Uh, And she was so good. Oh, she was amazing. And I will say, Meg Tilly in this is fantastic. Yeah, I said I was wondering if Jennifer Tilly was coming, and then we're doing a whole thing with that that whole era. And and also people that Joshua has worked with. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) That's right. Yeah, and done a show with Jennifer. That's right. But no, Meg Tilly, just from the moment she showed up, she was just so immediately, she had a very just poignant, emotional presence. Yeah, in a really, like, bizarre but believable character. Yeah. Like, like so weird. Yeah. Um, but, but earnest. Mm-hmm. Like, it was 
really good and yeah. and upsetting. Very yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. It was upsetting. It was very sad. Uh, and it, it it seemed at times like she and she was doing kind of her own movie, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then everyone else was maybe in their own movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, but I think we have to this idea of like the conflict between the social realism intentions of the filmmaker and how outlandish parts of the final product are. It's not just Natasha who is like going big in this movie. Like the finale. Yeah. The finale, yeah. I think, tells you what Danny Perez wants the film to be in the sense that it's this very, 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 very over the top um, and hilarious uh, uh, scene that the whole film has been leading up to. Uh, so uh, so I, I just think with this interview, maybe he was just trolling the into the reporter being like, yes, it's a very serious film about poverty. But- <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, I want, I think I could see how he's that kind of filmmaker, though, who's like... Um, and I've even known drag artists who are mm. like this, where they are wildly creative and and outrageous mm-hmm. and shocking and hilarious, but yet don't talk about their work in a right. way that's uh-huh. funny, yeah. Yeah. if that makes yeah, sense, that makes you sense. know? And I wonder if it's that kind of thing where he's this, this insane world that he's created in this movie and in his mind comes from a kind of a serious place. Like, I, I could get yeah. that... But I was taken like okay, big question mark here. Mm. What's up with the um, Chuck E. Cheese oh, bowling? Yeah, oh, like the yeah. furries. Like, so there's this. That's uh, a choice. That's pizza a big choice. Parlor in town that plays kind of a character in this movie. It's a location they go to and they see commercials for it, and, and even all the TV scenes are all these sort of like cutaway oh, commercial yeah. scenes when very when you're strange, weird, old stuff. Yeah, old. Um, clips from like 50s creepy shit unknown shows some things that seemed like they were recorded for this um but so yeah so this um this pizza parlor has these characters that are dressed up in like what would you say like ape teletubby teletubby apes yeah with with drag queen masks kind of like horror masks you've seen it before you (laughs) (laughs) there's a word for it ah yeah um yeah they make a they make a reoccurring uh they're they're always around um In her dreams. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like I was watching that and I and actually that's where I was kind of thinking a little bit about David Lynch mm-hmm. and sort of oh, yeah. sort of twisting. Inland Empire. Yeah. Of, yeah. And, yep. and taking Americana and mm-hmm. showing how nightmarish it is. Like yeah. I feel like that's just the most Lynchian thing you can do is take something so normal, like a kid's bowling alley or something, and be like, No, this is this is how horrifying things are. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't consistent, like it didn't it, it didn't necessarily match the rest of the... Yeah. Right, because the rest of it was pretty realistic. Except for like sort of the there end. Were, there were some right? hallucinatory flourishes here and there with yeah. like the edits. Right. But they were clearly hallucinations Hallucin- right. and they were connected to this sort of Natasha's yeah. character part of this whole thing is mm. she's significant in the movie because of her insane partying, right? So right. she's able to do all the drugs and drink and use and... Um, she's wildly uh, fucked up. So she um, hallucinates. But that thing, that pizza parlor thing, right. was like a thing. <laughs> a real thing. Played right. as though, you know, like, oh, okay, I work here and I dress up as this thing and this is my day job. You know? Right, yeah. It was weird. Yeah. But I liked it. I just kind of am like... <laughs> mm-hmm. It was very startling. Huh. Yeah. And they also tie into the film's uh, kind of homage to Rosemary's Baby. Oh, oh right. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but of course, of course, it's totally Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. And actually, now that you say that, I'm like, oh yeah, and there were even cues. Mm -hmm. Cues. Yeah, you're Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Yeah. There's 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 that piece of it as well, Uh, because in this film, Natasha Leone's character becomes pregnant, and then she becomes very pregnant. Um, and it becomes almost like it was like the pregnancy belly equivalent of Selma Blair's boobs and a dirty shame. <laughs> yes, exactly. It really was. Yeah. And at first, you don't know um, that that that's the the gimmick. So we were all watching it like, oh my god, give me a break, you know. <laughs> then you realize, oh no, she's supposed to be super pregnant. Right. You know? Right. Uh, this takes place in Michigan, which is a hot new destination for horror films. It seems uh, between like it follows. Mm. Don't yeah. breathe. Right. Oh, did you see Don't Breathe yet? I have not seen it yet. Oh, it's so good. I've, I'm really uh, late. I haven't seen Don't Breathe. I still oh, right. haven't yeah. seen Green oh, Room. Yeah. Right. I'm like, why? What have you been doing? Um, yeah. And, uh, and, but know, I did see Deathbed, the bed right. that kills or whatever it was called. <laughs> <laughs> so, got that. That's what counts. Yeah. Right. No, you're still a student of film at the end yes, of the day. Yes. Uh, Only Lovers Left Alive was in Detroit. You know, it feels like Michigan. Oh, yeah, that's right. It feels like Michigan, Detroit particularly, has become like a hot new destination for, for films. And maybe because everybody's having the same, maybe a lazy idea, that like, oh, it's like a post-apocalyptic landscape. Mm. Right. Uh, it's desolate. It's it's desperate. Um, you know, like it's perfect. And maybe they, maybe cheap. it's really cheap to and shoot also, there. also, there's probably I'm a lot sure of incentives. i tax breaks like crazy. I yeah. have to imagine. I have to imagine. Uh, but, but I mean, that is, that is the American nightmare, right? Poverty yeah. and um, mm-hmm. no, no, right, no jobs, no and, jobs, and no, no prospects. fire department, no, yeah, no prospects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's really and, a baseline. Terrible drinking water that you can't. Yeah, exactly. And there's like that whole night. That, that was like a, a, trust... a horror movie, a real horror movie, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. the tap water was terrifying right. and like dangerous to drink. Right, and the government isn't looking out for you. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, so, and the, all of that plays into this uh, film decidedly. Uh, it does. Yeah. Actually, everything that we just mentioned yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is kind of a theme. So maybe yeah. it is a serious, uh, yeah, I a mean, serious movie about... When we're watching this interview, I was almost thinking like, oh, wow, he's sounding really kind of patronizing in his description of like, oh, well, you know how middle America is a fucking shit show. And there's like no anything anywhere. Um, just because I think it's always sensitive whenever people who work in the film community start to talk about the Midwest, oh, <laughs> and sure. like the flyover but states. Quickly, another thing. The whole movie's about drugs and yeah. like heroin taking over the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Is like Which is a very real thing. thing. It's a very um, real thing. Yeah. To be really afraid of. Them. Yeah, for sure. One thing I appreciated, you know, looking at it, because it was really cartoony and yeah. really over the top, but they didn't, you know, Natasha lives in a trailer, her character, mm. um, and Chloe is a single mom who's dating this drug dealer. And yeah. clearly, as we, we heard from the interview afterwards, they're pulling from sort of this this idea of poor people, women who are mm-hmm. maids in hotels, right. uh, mm-hmm. who have have nothing to do better to do than drugs. But I'll say that I liked that Natasha and Chloe, actually all of them, didn't do the stereotypical, mm-hmm. I'm going to play this as white trash exactly. And, exactly. and I'm just a dumb yep. idiot. You know, like they yeah. played it mm-hmm. as... Like those were their circumstances, mm-hmm. but they weren't idiots. Yeah, exactly. you know? and, and the I movie definitely that. like passes the Bechdel test. There, are yeah. many conversations yeah. between mm-hmm. all sorts of women, uh, not about men. Yeah, yeah, they definitely don't play them as like they don't, and they look. I mean, Chloe looks 
amazing. Like, they definitely... <laughs> that was maybe one thing. <laughs> she yeah. probably wouldn't look she, like that. She may, have, she may have dressed herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was kind of like, really? She looks you're, you're, are you shopping at Walmart? Because that's where she'd be shopping. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know if they have opening ceremony uh, in yeah. these, like, yeah, exactly. moral hellscapes in Michigan. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but so she, she looked almost too good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, neither of them. Have, and she's played, you know, Chloe was nominated for an Oscar for Boys Don't Cry, where she was also playing a small town girl. Um, maybe played that one a little bit more kind of rednecky. More, yeah, more mm-hmm. and more. Uh, what's the word? Uh, yeah, I guess rednecky. Yeah, kind of rednecky. Yeah, kind of a rube. But she yeah. also played, um, you know, a Mormon. Right, uh, yeah. You know, polygamist's mm-hmm. wife, you know, mm-hmm. in a way that I loved. I mean, mm-hmm. I actually think she makes really interesting choices. I think both she and Natasha mm-hmm. and Clea, like, I love that whole um, sisterhood yeah. of actresses. Because I, I, I do think that as young actresses, they've fought to to take interesting roles. And then having worked with Natasha, I can right. tell you, they. I, I'm guessing if they're like Natasha, mm-hmm. they have opinions. Yeah. And they have... Um, <laughs> They, they don't just, you know, stand around waiting to be told what to do. They have mm-hmm. ideas. They want to work on it. They really want to build a character. And mm-hmm. I think you can see in this movie, well, you know, that it it's uh, a benefit to the film. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Mm-hmm. Knowing Natasha the way you do, what would you think would be a draw for her for this project, for this character? Hmm. Well, Natasha's very loyal mm-hmm. um, as a friend. And so I wonder uh, if... Um, she, because I don't particularly think that she loves horror or mm-hmm. genre films. I mean, I don't think she dislikes it, but it's mm-hmm. not like, like for me, it was a passion and she mm-hmm. would latch on to my passion. She loved, Natasha is actually most passionate about classic Hollywood films. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. she knows all the old movies and will go to the film forum in New York and watch old movies um, all afternoon. And that's really her passion. That's really her film interest. So actually one of the ways we, we built her character in All mm-hmm. About Evil was through using old films and looking at Betty Davis and mm-hmm. Joan Crawford and right. um, and eventually Frankenfurter and you know whatever <laughs> yeah. whatever we needed to get to that place. Right. Um, so I don't know that it would be necessarily the screenplay or the 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 content. I mean, I, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But I also wonder if she was asked to do it by someone that she loves dearly. That mm-hmm. I don't know the story. I, I have not, I'm not, not talked to her about this. But, mm-hmm. you know, obviously she's in Clea's new movie. Right. That's a friendship. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. Uh, a sisterhood. Not that Natasha, again, wouldn't have done it because the screenplay sure. doesn't have its own value. Of course. But uh, I think she's like that. She was in, well, you know, Thomas Decker has a uh-huh. new movie. I don't know if you... You, I you saw I, I saw Natasha post about it. Okay, so that's coming out, and uh, Natasha's in that, and uh, of course she was in Darren's GBF film. Like mm-hmm. Natasha will really mm-hmm. show up for you, and I think that's worth noting because honestly, it's very unusual. Mm. And uh, and if you're a friend of hers and she wants to support you, she will do things that probably her team, <laughs> you know, when you're right. when you're the star when you're Emmy nominated for a hit show like Orange is the New Black and mm-hmm. you're getting offered lots of stuff and your time is very valuable to right. people who stand to make money off you. Right. I'm not sure that Anti Birth and some of these smaller films maybe you know, so I just mm-hmm. really admire her loyalty. She's very generous. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I can't imagine um, anyone on the team being <laughs> looking at the anti-birth and being like, "This is a, yes, do this." Yeah, this I has, mean, this it's has not that kind of movie. No, this is, and, and that's what makes her so amazingly interesting as an actor. That when you look at her filmography, it kind of speaks for itself uh, that know, she makes these interesting choices. It's kind of like a movie, and I hope that this is seen as flattering because I mean it this this way. Um, but I feel like it's the kind of film. I would have rented from the video store when I was like a kid mm-hmm. in high school and been yeah. like, what the hell yeah. is this? Yeah. 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 And it's I just, show my friends. it's weird. And it's weird in a way that like movies don't get made like this anymore. Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. like where it's kind of like, what? I, I, I mean, it, yeah. you know, it's just sort of, <laughs> so I mean, I, I yeah, yeah, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it seems like a gem. Like a gem that not everybody knows about, right? Yeah, it it was. It's what you mentioned in the video store. I was vividly picturing myself. It was giving me kind of a '90s grunge vibe. Mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. know if you're getting that from it at all, but I was getting a very sort of like '90s grungy vibe from it. And you could almost picture parts of it, you know, look very um, Pacific Northwest, even though it's in Michigan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you can almost picture a Van Sant being like an oh, exec producer on it or something mm-hmm, to get it made. Mm-hmm. It just has that kind of very lethargic 90s grunge heroined out vibe to it. Right. And even Natasha's costuming is that. Yes. You know, yeah, I mean, she has the raccoon eyes yeah. and, and the, yeah. The, the, the entire fishnet mm-hmm. body. Yes. <laughs> she's so fishnet. The entire film. Yeah. In yes. fishnets from head to toe. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, you know, it's definitely it's definitely stylized. I was thinking that like they must have had one of their fashion friends do the costumes for it because Natasha, Chloe, and Meg Tilly all have really great looks in this film. Yeah, yeah. Meg Tilly's costume yes. when she finally took off her ja- her coat. Yeah, it was like, I was like, oh, oh my god, you're like, and Dorothy's Bornak, <laughs> hippie lady, yeah. like Dorothy's Bornak, mother. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, that was fantastic. So. The movie uh, triggered a few of uh, Rebecca's buttons oh, yeah. uh, in terms of gross-out factor. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot of there was some uh, cutting of wounds, some uh, exercising of uh, pus. <laughs> I believe you would call it a lot of pus. A lot of pus. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they did not skimp on the pus no. budget for this movie. No. As, no. Soo- as soon as they showed that foot, and I saw that there was like a prosthetic <laughs> over it to make it. Oh, I right. was like, oh shit, here that we go. Foot. Oh. And, and I, I learned that Rebecca is um, a splosh queen. She's she's a um, fetish for vomiting. Wait, what is yes, it? Tell oh. your friends. Sploshing. Tell your friends. So if you if you ever on a date with her, yeah, she's entirely in the lesbian world. Just know. That <laughs> yeah. she, yes, she's really into it. <laughs> oh wow! Tell tell your friends. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah anyone please. No, My a... birthday's coming up, so. Yeah. <laughs> so can you just not watch vomiting? Uh, I I'm, I've gotten a lot better with it. Um, she's had to for this for this podcast. The, no, that, this because almost year every has other movie a has ridiculous <laughs> amount of vomiting. It's like the new thing. She we thinks it's new. I'm like, movies now... always show vomiting. And to me, it never looks real. Oh yeah, like because vomiting Sometimes is just such a be, horrible. Though, right? Maybe, but like I, mean, I always feel like. If they kill that like... chicken, people are again. <laughs> right, right. It's true. Well, we were, and we were, um, when we were reviewing Tangerine, Tangerine oh, has one of the most wow, realistic right. vomiting well, scenes. That might be real. Look, just look at Rebecca right now. Yeah. Like, just even thinking about it again. <laughs> wow. Yeah. We have just, we, I just thought we were getting close. That... Yeah. And now you've changed it. It's, it's, it's horrible because I love that movie and I want to watch it again, but I, I was just fast forward to the yeah. first yeah. 10 Yeah, minutes. I mean, that scene is rough that's yeah that's a really gross scene i I wouldn't be surprised if that was it looks real real yeah Yeah. um but i think for the most part i look at vomit scenes and i'm like 
I'm more curious, like, how long did you have to hold that in your I mouth? Know. Yeah, like, I, yeah. I'm not thinking about it like it's real. Exactly. I'm looking for the cut, looking for the craftsmanship. Right, right, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've had to do it in a little short. No, no, no. Are oh my you God. starting with me right Rebecca, now? Rebecca, <laughs> you have to see night, A Nightmare on Castro Street where Squeaky oh. vomits on my face no. with my mouth <laughs> open. <laughs> I'm begging for her forgiveness as she pukes on me. <laughs> so I'll send that clip. Please do, yeah. please do, and we'll, we'll we'll record. I'll record Rebecca watching it, and we'll put it up on, a, <laughs> on our yeah, podcast yeah. YouTube like a channel. Challenge video. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Right. If there's <laughs> ALS challenge, challenge. Yeah. So right. <laughs> and I challenge you to watch this video exactly. of some being vomited on. <laughs> oh, fun. Well, well yeah. I, um, I feel like you guys out there are probably thinking this movie sounds all over the place because our conversation has been all over the place. <laughs> but it, it is, is a little bit over the yeah, place. Yeah, it is. It kind of throws out a couple. You you know, lots of little references and lots of little ideas and then kind of just like leaves it for you to make up it what you will. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do feel like they very clearly lay out this like don't don't do drugs and don't drink. It um, did feel like a cautionary tale. Uh, but I feel like that would work. I mean, I had a kind of a, I had a weekend where I drank too much and I was like, oh my God, like my skin is dry. Right. I feel really weird. My, I can feel it. You know, I'm older now. I feel it so physically for so many days after that this movie was like, oh my God. Yeah. Well, this really plays terrible. with the idea of blackouts. It does. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, that's kind of one of the big mm-hmm. horror themes of this film mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. well, maybe you don't remember this mm-hmm. thing that you, you know, are right. swearing didn't happen because right. you can't remember it, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And it kind of covers, on the one on the one half, it covers the substance abuse issue, but on the other, it's sort of about, like, women being preyed upon yep. in social settings yep. where people are consuming substances. And the way that her character is uh, is is essentially raped, uh, mm-hmm. and what comes of that. Uh, so there, it's just there's 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 so much. Mm-hmm. There, you know. It's a very serious political film. It is, and it's also batshit crazy at the um, same time. What are we going to give it? Tell me what your rating system so is again. Binge it, consume moderation, send it back. I guess for me, I would say consume in moderation mm-hmm. only because. Like, if you were a certain friend of mine, I'd be like, binge, binge it. it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes. Yes. But for your listeners, right. I don't... That, because it's that kind of movie um, that I personally might say binge it to, especially genre fans, film lovers who like weird movies, any Natasha fan, for yeah, sure. Yeah, any Natasha fan. 100%. For sure. um, but I could see... Uh, yeah, how it's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Just like All About Evil and a lot of movies that I love, mm-hmm. you know, or right. that kind of movie. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, I would say consume as well. Um, I think that um, it 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 really does take a long time for the train to leave the station. It's very slow and torpid for a good chunk of the screen time, but it gets by on the charm of its stars, off the charm of mm-hmm. Natasha and Chloe, especially together, Meg Tilly. Uh, so, and I think that I would almost need to watch it a second time because I think the first time I was just so distracted by enjoying them that I couldn't I wasn't really paying mm-hmm. serious attention to the movie because I thought the movie was just going to be like a really goofy gross out movie I realized it actually had aspirations to, to social realism so I kind of want to give it a second day in court but this time around I also am going with consume moderation Rebecca? Uh, I'm going to go uh, consume plus like binge minus Ooh. Um, I'm, I'm clearly the um, the 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 not the not horror fan of the three of us the sissy mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> um, not at all my expertise I I have 
I am nowhere in this world. And I was really entertained. Um, (laughs) And I I like that feeling. It's going to feel when you watch it, you're going to be like, I can't wait to tell somebody about this. You're going to know somebody and you're going to have something in your hat. Uh, You'll be happy you've seen it. And that actually makes me feel like even stronger about recommending it. Because Mm -hmm. if you're a non-genre person and you had that reaction to it, you know, then then I would say even more strongly, every listener should check it out because, mm-hmm. you know, there you have it, you know, because yeah. if you're a genre fan, like any fan of mine that's a genre fan, because like, mm-hmm. it's like a, the drag universe. There's like the drag world or porn world. You know, there's mm-hmm. these weird worlds, right? Mm-hmm. And there's the genre world. And I totally yeah. exist in that world. Anyone in the genre world, I would say binge it. Yeah. But now hearing you, I'm like, mm-hmm. hmm. But I probably wouldn't tell my mom to watch it. <laughs> right. My mom loves yeah, Natasha. I mean, she adores Natasha. <laughs> and I don't know if she'd like this, you know. Do you think Nihat would like it? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, Nihat's my partner and not necessarily a genre fan, but mm-hmm. a lover of Natasha. Right. And yeah. of course, he's mm-hmm. um, met Natasha. Right. Nihat's funny because he meets these friends of mine. Like we were talking about Mink Stoll mm-hmm. recently. And he knows Mink is this wonderful older woman who I'm friends with, <laughs> right. who, you know, has, has had fabulous lunches with us and traveled <laughs> with us. And the only movies he'd seen her in, I mean, the most outrageous, I think, was Serial Mom. So mm-hmm. he recently mm-hmm. got to see her give Divine a rosary job, you know, <laughs> right. and, and multiple maniacs. <laughs> And it's I keep waiting scene. for him to be super, super shocked, but he's not because he's my partner. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he's unshockable. Yeah. Can't be shocked anymore. Yeah. Um, so Anti-Birth, you can find uh, video on demand. Yeah, you guys can find Anti-Birth on iTunes right now. It's probably also possibly playing in one of the largest cities near you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's rated. It's not rated. <laughs> not rated. It would get an R. At least. An R plus. Yeah, R plus, R plus, just like, just like a, a consume plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, our thanks again to Joshua Grinnell Joshua, for joining us for having me I love your show these are where always can, such fun nights where can where can people find you on the internet so um, know about your upcoming shows facebook.com slash peaches christ um, instagram uh, twitter and peacheschrist.com there we go awesome thank you so much Joshua thank you our next movie we're going to take a look at which couldn't be any more different is The Light Between Oceans a lighthouse keeper and his wife living off the coast of Western Australia raise a baby they rescue from an adrift rowboat. Can't just be a coincidence that she should have... She's a lovely baby, but you can't keep her. She needs us. We're not doing anything wrong. I know that you're going to be a wonderful father. For my dada, with love... Forever and ever and ever and ever. And just like that, we are in fall movie season. Just like that. It's crazy how, like, it's it's literally, as we're taping this, it is August 31st. In, on the East Coast, it's September 1st. Yes. So, it, so, so fall has just, has just fallen? Is that a spring has sprung, fall has fallen? Mm-mm. I don't know. Nope. All right. Well, disregard that. But... Uh, you know, it's fall movie season, guys, and Light Between Oceans is the first real fall movie that we are getting uh, this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're so excited to be with you for the seasonal change in film. <laughs> um, even if it's not a movie we'll probably be talking about at the end of the fall, um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a worthy enough kickoff to a season of serious, depressing films. Hmm. Um, 
First of all, let's just take a note and say that this movie takes place in Australia, a yes. continent we love. Yes, yes. We love Australia. Uh, we love people in Australia who listen to podcasts. We love Australians. Uh, we are. I'm a big fan of the Real Housewives of Melbourne. Oh, um, is, there, is, that, is, is that a thing? It is a thing. Oh, cool. Yeah, I live for it. It's That's the best amazing. Real Housewives cast of any Real Housewives cast. Just pound for pound, woman for woman, strong stuff. Was, now, did you find this before or after you said you wanted to be a koala? Um, before, before, you know, it's all of a piece with my, um, my, uh, what's the Austro, Austrocentric, is that what I'd be called? Yeah. <laughs> uh, or Austrophone, Austrophone? Fra- Francophone? Austrophone? Austrophone. I'm an Austrophone. So um, is Rebecca. I've seen her. <laughs> um, so anyway, beautiful place. Yeah. Um, a beautiful movie. Yeah, yeah, gorgeously shot film. Um, I don't know. I'm. We didn't. We didn't double check to see if it was filmed in Australia. It was. It was. Oh, great. <laughs> well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how fantastic that's awesome uh yeah it looks looks gorgeous um i will say that i did not realize while we were watching it that it took place in australia rebecca picked up on it uh, I, I i did a flyby on me no there's clue. a scene where they sing uh waltzing matilda and i did not put together that, that meant it was in australia yeah that's a it's a thing i almost wonder if it's like two on the nose is it is it classic or because i mean to me it's like a very clear association but is it like it's like the um it's like the Ferrajaca of right. Australia. <laughs> I mean, I will just say that I did not pick up much Australia from any of the accents the actors were using. Mm, that's true. If anybody, if anybody knows, maybe is Australian and wants to hit us <laughs> up on Twitter and let us know if Waltzing Matilda is yeah. uh, is too obvious. Is, that, is Australian? that too obvious? Would that be like in like if some other country made an American movie where everybody just sang the Star Spangled Banner the or whole like time. like Yankee Doodle. Yeah, or Yankee Doodle. <laughs> um, hit us up on Twitter. I'm at way, Fight Balance. Yes, and I'm at Excess Faggage. And, uh, well, and then <laughs> sort of like Danny Boy would be for, An Irish, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so could be that. But anyway. Anyway. Um, yes, so The, the Light Between Oceans takes place in the beautiful land of Australia. And it looks great. Um, it looks so good that you would all, they've been promoting this movie a lot, uh, commercials. Um, you would almost think it almost looks like a Nicholas Sparks movie. Now, Rebecca made this comment, uh, to me as we were leaving the film and, um, and I nearly pummeled her on the spot because <laughs> I got furious. I feel like to compare a film to Nicholas Sparks is like calling somebody a pedophile. You can't wait. You were the one who made me watch a Nicholas Sparks film. You can't lose well, film, yeah, movie. so that we could make fun of it. Okay, I'm not saying it's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm saying when you're like, oh, this movie is basically like Nicholas Sparks. That's like calling somebody a pedophile, even if it's not true. They will never lose that stench. Uh. <laughs> it's an irresponsible allegation <laughs> to make. Done it the, that's like, well, if you're gonna walk around with transition lenses on, like people are gonna think you're a pedophile. If you don't want to look like a Nicholas Sparks movie. <laughs> Don't okay, film these sweeping. They've set it up they're, in a way. They've set it up no, in a way. Long before Nicholas. They've made Australia look before, like South Carolina. That's not true. In a good way. Long before Nicholas Sparks made like windswept romances, like the Jane Eyre. Like the, 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 there have been winds, there's a certain there have been windswept romances for a very long time. Nicholas Sparks did not invent that. Just because there are white people and there is like a light tower and there's a romance. <laughs> 
does not mean it's Nicholas Sparks. But it also has that thing where, like, and at the end, it shows them old, and there's a death scene. It just, it just, it does. This is this is not this is not this is like saying Creed is a Tyler Perry movie. Like, no, just, that's you being racist. That's not be. That's, I think this is just as racist to say because oh, it's like white. It's like white people no in love, and there's a and there's a there's a certain setting where these beautiful where white people always are. So this it's, isn't a it's race like same thing at all. Sparks. I, mean, I didn't think Brooklyn looked like a Nicholas Sparks movie. Well, yeah, because that take, that doesn't take place in a setting that looks like a Nicholas Sparks setting. Because I mean, Nicholas Sparks movies are always in South Carolina, North Carolina, a time and a and, place. And this it was, maybe is, it's a, he has a lighthouse. He has the. <laughs> I mean, a lighthouse does play into the lucky one, the Zac Efron Nicholas Sparks Mm -hmm. movie. It's like it's like Nicholas Sparks guest edited an issue of Kinfolk. The the emotional depth and maturity and complexity of this film is leagues and bounds beyond any Nicholas Sparks movie that's ever been made. Okay, I'm not saying the finished product is 100 percent. A Nicholas Sparks movie, but yeah, I feel or like even five percent a Nicholas Sparks movie, and the end, the, it, there there are similarities. I think marketing is marketing. I think as far as marketers are concerned, there are only well, five. There are only five movies in the world, and you just have to make your movie look like one of those five. <laughs> this movies. movie did not look like Thirteen Hours. Um, <laughs> so considering how um, how uh, against you are this comparison, it makes me sound like you enjoyed this movie. Um, you know, I I did enjoy most of it. I had it got off to a rough start for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has, it starts off as kind of one movie, and the movie it starts off as is really slow and boring and terrible. Um, <laughs> but it turns out that it's actually just taking its sweet ass time with a very thorough exposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and an exposition that it turns out is of the two kind of key storylines here is by far the less interesting. Yes, definitely. Um, it takes the time telling us this kind of just very by the numbers love story. Uh, when meanwhile, there's all this other crazy shit we'll hear more about later. Um, so yeah, so in the beginning, I was very unclear. I was like, oh wow, this is just dead on arrival. This is so stale. Um, but then when the complications arose in the storyline, I was like, okay, well, you know, because once that happens, A, it makes you understand why um, the director, Derek C. in France, has taken his time laying out this exposition so you can feel the full emotional toll mm-hmm. of, um, of, of, of what informs these choices that are so profound to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once that was introduced, um, I was riveted, um, you know, until the very end. Uh, I was very emotionally engaged by this movie. So he made uh, Blue Valentine and The Place Beyond the Pines. Mm-hmm. Um, to you, did it feel like another another set in the in the another story in the set? So again, in the very beginning, I was like, "Where is Derek C. in France in this?" I'm just like, he's just gone and done a literary adaptation. This mm-hmm. is just like a just a stuffy period romance, uh, and I didn't feel any of him in it. But um, and his his most stately, his most classical kind of film. And it still is his most stately and classical film. Oh, sure. Um, but once the scope started to pull back, and I realized the extent to which this was about the complexities of relationships between husbands and wives and between parents and children mm-hmm. and about the idea of parenthood and what it means to be a parent, um, I got to interview Derek C. in France um, for Place Beyond the Pines and you know, kind of hear from him directly how those are his obsessions, really. And uh, and he also, as a as a narrator, tends to really favor stories that span time in a way that's significant. 
mm-hmm. um, not not the way that a lot of movies kind of just will be like, oh, and then you know, at, six you know, years later, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, like Blue Valentine, of course, <clears throat> played with time by having a sort of like this choppy backwards forwards narrative of the beginning and end of this couple's mm-hmm. relationship. Place Beyond the Pines had like three different lifetimes. Um, yeah. Uh, so and this likewise um, takes place kind of ambitiously over uh, across a number of years and then decades. So once once the once the lens pulled back and I could see that those pieces were there, then I was like, okay, I see why he was drawn to this material, why he was drawn to this book. Um, so it's we have Michael Fassbender, mm-hmm. um, as we like to call him here on the show, starting right now, Sassy Fassy. Trademark the binge movie podcast. Thank you. Um, hashtag sassy farsi. Um, who actually is one of your favorites. You were very excited to see he was in this. We had a very um, confusing discussion about if it was a Sarsgard or Skarsgard. Or or other Skarsgard. Oh, Sarsgard. Right. So Rebecca thought that Peter Sarsgard was Stellan Skarsgard's son because he's homely. <laughs> and uh, she did not believe that Alexander Skarsgard could be Stellan Sarsgard's son. I didn't know. Because he uh, he is, as you said, uh, a gift from heaven, I believe. Uh, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, neither of these men are in, their mo- nope. are in this movie. <clears throat> um, but you, are, you have a uh, fast bender. You have a fascination. If you will. Um, Don't call him the ass bender for nothing. <laughs> uh, what's the, what is it again? What's the whole thing with you and him? Oh well, I mean, it's not just my thing. Michael Fassbender is a common uh, object of desire uh, for male and female uh, viewers alike. Uh, it kind of kicked into high gear when he did that movie Shame, where he played a sex addict. Mm. Did you see that? Uh, no. Okay, well, it's a great film, and he's great in it. Um, and he also um, hangs dong uh, in oh. the movie, and it's it's significant. Uh, and so it kind of. George Clooney made a joke about him golfing with it um, <laughs> at uh, at the Golden Globes, I think. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, so that's 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 part of the fascination. But he's also just a very. This is not the first time we've reviewed a, a no, fast No, uh, actually, last time Joshua was here, we uh, talked about him in High Rise. High Rise? No, he wasn't in High Rise. That was Tom Hiddleston. Damn it! <laughs> but I felt like you were looking at his crotch too. Well, I mean, like I'm like you know I'm like I'm, I'm a sniffer, you know. <laughs> I mean that like a dog, and not that like so the smell disgusted. of. <laughs> I meant like I'm like a dog nosing around, and I don't know. Um, um, so, what did you think of? You're a splash queen. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Calls him how you sees him. Although, to be fair, Tom Hiddleston, when I first saw him in a movie, which I think was War Horse. I did think he was Michael Fassbender. There's a similarity there. Yes, but Tom Tom Hiddleston's like the younger, prettier mm. version, and Fassbender's a little bit more craggy, especially mm-hmm. the older especially he gets. Especially in this movie, very craggy in this. Quite craggy. Um, so he were you disappointed at the fact that uh, his 1920s outfits were so baggy in the pants? I mean, he's overcome that in the past. Uh, in in Jane Eyre, for instance, in his version of Jane Eyre, um, it was noticeable, but. Uh, yeah, no, there was no peen print in this, um, and I was looking. You know, he normally is one of those John Hamm types where no matter what, he'll he'll come through, but um, not here, not here. Um, and we have Alicia Vikander. Mm-hmm. Um, With whom he was romantically linked uh, while they were in production of this film, I believe. Oh, so is that Possibly like a scene in France curse where wasn't so... Well, I think Gosling, Gosling and Eva and... Mendes were already together before Place Beyond the Pines. And then before that, he was linked with Michelle Williams when they were was he linked with her Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's just if you're Gosling they link you with everybody you work with I never heard Michelle Williams was dating him I don't think he's her type or maybe that's the Cien France 
PR machine. <laughs> yes, yeah, big big scene in France, right? <laughs> exactly. That's just him keeping TMZ in his pocket. Um, he makes the trailers look like shit, but he gets you with the uh, <laughs> celebrity dating oh, backstory. Um, so my biggest complaint with this movie is that um, Alicia Vikander's character is uh, an adult child the entire the entire time. Um, the her husband treats her as a child. She she even even. If you were to say this is the 1920s and you know kind of a small town in Australia like what maybe this would this wouldn't be the case but she has no substance and then she is she has one focus with him and then having a child and of course there is a um, she goes through some tumultuous times which of course there's there's wiggle room for that um, but basically I'm sure she appreciates the wiggle room well, I mean, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I feel like that's a very important part of the story. Important part of the story you don't want to kind of give away, but um, but there's absolutely nothing to her. She literally runs around the beach like a child, uh, as an as a, a full grown adult woman. Well, I, I I can't say I agree with that assessment of her character. Um, I think that first of all, she is intended to be much younger than him. I think that she is intended to be a girl of like nineteen or something. Um, whenever they meet. Uh, because she is, uh, you know, she lives with her parents and she has a very sort of like youthful, flirtatious, coquettish energy, um, you know, that he finds beguiling. I think to an extent she is. She's she's like, she's a very young girl. She's bratty. Um, she, I think it's realistic to think that this woman, what she did want was to get married and to have a family. And then when that was repeatedly thwarted, um, it drives her mad. What I was interested in was a question of whether she was crazy before mm. or if this and this merely inflamed it or if it was the struggles they have um, starting a family that drove her crazy because there's I feel like it's very clear that you're intended to believe that she's not all there from um, the beginning. No, not from the beginning, but like by the time that we see her just like like kind of doing this crazy hurry walk around the island and we see her having these very outsized reaction to things. But we also see her just like trying to cling to like she'll have a moment when she'll see clearly and she'll see like, oh, it's I'm 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 acting crazy. And you can see it wash over her face, this kind of embarrassment that she's reacting the way she's reacting, um, you know. So and then she, I mean, she she did have like I think it's far from, you know, uh, uh, weird to imagine that a woman in her settings uh, would just solely focus on like, I want to be a, a wife and mother and then to put all of her eggs in that basket and then to go to this remote location with this man that she's intended to start a family with and then to have this repeated harrowing thing happen. Um, I bought that. If anything, I felt that she had far and away the film's most I- engaging arc. Um, you know, she goes from this, like I said, like young flirtatious coquette who looks like barely out of teens, if, if out of teens. Which, with that right uh, there... Well, that's 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 neither here nor there. I mean, like that's just you know, like he they they fall in love, you know, like just because she's on the younger side. Well, I mean, um, that's like a common issue in in movies. Well, sure, stories. but I mean, I think that this story, uh, which is based on a book that was in, that was written by a woman, uh, you know, I think that you know we have a story about this world this World War One veteran who comes to small town and, and well, that's we, a whole other thing. You have this whole backstory for him. He was this World War One veteran. He comes to a small town. You know about his family. Like you, there's there, he goes through this. Um, he has responsibilities. He, there are things that he thinks about outside of the world, and and she does not. Like there, well, there was no. Um, to me, what? he was a non-character. Honestly, to me, there was nothing to him. Uh, hmm. To me, he was. Uh, you know, so this the movie is called The Light Between Oceans, and he works as a lighthouse, 
and um, which in, least, in at least one scene where he's standing on top of it looks remarkably like a phallus. Uh, and, uh, and he's just staying right up there at the head, uh, just hanging out, writing love letters to his lady on this enormous phallus. Um, but, you know, he's sort of the pillar um, between um, these two women, the other played by Rachel Weisz, uh, who are each just completely drowning in emotion. And he is like this kind of just like this pillar of strength and moral fortitude. Right. So you um, didn't see, there's them. nothing strange about that? No, I think that makes him boring. I think that makes him boring. I think that makes he's like a cipher. He's just there to be like the inerring, like, you know, like he's this guy who already has survivor's guilt from having survived World War One, And now he is put into the situation where... Uh, he is benefiting from another death, and he he can't take it. I don't think the movie is judging Elise Vikander's character. I think that certainly me, I was like right there understanding why she was asking this impossible thing of him, because she's like, I can't take this again. You know, like I, I this is something that's been dropped. We know we're talking we're talking cryptically right now because we don't want to give away these things that are happening in the movie. But, you know, I, I felt like it was not being judgmental. I think that one of the things the movie does very well is that it illustrates each woman's circumstances emotionally and why things are so difficult. And, and and it shows his to an extent too, even though I think he's a boring non-character, why he feels so conflicted because, you know, he wants to provide for his wife and he wants to give her what it is that she wants so badly and what is gradually destroying her mental health and destroying their marriage that she can't have. So Sure. I mean, I, I think that once things start moving down the road where things get interesting, um, uh, what happens to her and how she deals with it is very interesting. I think the first half of the movie would have been less boring and less dull if they would have made something of her character. Um, and I think that there's, if you come from this position of like um, uh, thinking women are sweet because they are coquettish or um, aren't to be taken seriously, then I then you won't be uh, as if you if you're looking at it and you're looking you're, you're I'm not going to say you know, you're a woman and you're looking at a woman. And she has absolutely nothing going on, and it's just—I mean, it, there's. I guess I just don't see this. She has nothing going on thing you keep saying. Like this character we're talking about would have been our like great great grandmother's generation. They had friends. They had conversations. She was living in a small thing. town. She's still living with her family. She, you know, like that was that was her her life was her family. But they they built up his story in a way that was impressive and gave you an understanding of who he was. He had just had more of a and... life by that point. He had he's older. He was older. He had had more of a life, and you know, and that's just kind of like the way the characters are written in this book. Uh, I mean, know. that's another thing. I guess we there's there we, we have these stories that are these movies that are based on on books. We often go back and say, well, that's how the book was. So I guess that's that. Well, I mean, like I'm not using that as a trump card to be like, oh, well, nothing else can be said. We can't criticize the book. I mean, certainly we could. I guess I just don't. That will see... be on the binge book. Yes, podcast. the binge book podcast twice a week now. I just don't see like to me. I did not think that she had no substance. I thought that this character was like recognizable. This woman who was just living in a small town with her family, never really knew life beyond that, um, sees and becomes smitten by this this dashing, somewhat older veteran, and just like has those like small town girl dream projections of just like yes, I'm going to marry this man. We're going to have a family. And then that gets thwarted and then she wants to do and she starts to lose her mind and she'll do whatever it takes. I thought that this also was a fantastic performance by Lisa Vikander. I thought that like coming off of, you know, the Danish girl next mock and I was like, oh, no, what if this is like a boring performance and it seems like she had like this great year and then she's going to be mm-hmm, gone. But mm-hmm. no, no, she was no. she was she, she. I mean, she's she's the real deal. Um, maybe maybe it's just I, I maybe it's just I, I am sick of seeing that kind of character and I, I, I don't want to see that again. Mm hmm. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's where it's coming from. Fair. Um, so, 
<laughs> I knew um, you were going to talk about that, and I was prepared. <laughs> I see that you were. Um, I need to. Um, I need to bring my gloves next time. <laughs> I need to bring my gloves. Um, so these uh, these characters kind of take make some decisions um, that are pretty foolish. Um, <laughs> this tiny they live on they live on this tiny island. They, they are completely by themselves on this light lighthouse island. People come to them from a boat every once every once in a while to bring them food and things. Um, and then when this rowboat washes ashore, they kind of don't <laughs> expect it that it came from the town that is the only town that's close to them. <laughs> it doesn't seem to occur to them. And we're not talking about like some like storm battered like rescue boat. Like it's just like a little canoe. Yeah, that can only have come it from rolls so up far. clearly and 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 based on the the contents of this boat. Clearly has not been through much. No. Um, it's a baby. Yeah. It's a baby on the boat. There's a baby. And the baby is perfectly fine. <laughs> and babies can only last so yeah. long in a rowboat. <laughs> exactly. So just the fact that a baby survived a ride in a rowboat over to this island, uh, you would think that they would put together that like, oh, clearly this came from that little town that we came from and there's like nothing else anywhere <laughs> so around. Someone else is going to know. Um, but uh, but that... Uh, that doesn't happen. Does not happen. Um until it's too late and then it's then it's very it's very much too late this is there's a lot of uh questionable decisions there's a lot of um ambiguous uh just moral quandaries like they just come one after another in this movie and you know it's definitely one of those things where you're like oh god what would i do that's tough that's tough very tough real tough um jason what are you gonna give this movie um, I'm going to say that it is a, mm, I'm going to say it's a consume plus for me. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think that, you know, it's not, it's not a great film. Um, but you know, I think I was very much emotionally involved by it. It's, it's hard hitting emotionally. Like mm. it's, it's a hard hitter. Like there's a lot of grief, lots of grief in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, and then just the extent as you're realizing as the film unfolds, the extent to which like these lives have all just been fucked. Like, yeah. you know, like all three main adult characters have just had their lives completely destroyed through things that for the most part, you know, you can't really say like, oh, well, here's the fault. Here's the fault. No. These are just like circumstances have conspired to ruin all their lives to one extent or another. And um, the so, child as well. The child as well. Uh, so, um, you know, so it's really if you like a nice, depressing, domestic melodrama. Um, then you will love this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but stick with it past the exposition. Rebecca? Uh, I'm going to go consume minus. Uh, it's it's a, definitely a circumstantial consume. To me, it felt like the movie, if, if you're like having a time or you're going through a breakup and you just want to like gas, gas to the ground, gas pedal to the floor, uh, just go right into crying, this mm-hmm. is the one. Push you over the edge. Um, you're like, I need that it, catharsis. It's also beautiful if you have uh, dreams of like unplugging from the world and going to live in like beautiful knit sweaters and, and beautifully um, where, you know, the, one of those views of the past where things are never dirty and were things you, are never gross. Did it appeal to you, this life on the on the lighthouse? No, but I've, I've seen, I know people it, it appeals to. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Um, so yeah, um, the light between oceans is out now, and it is rated PG thirteen for thematic material and some sexual content. All right, so we have two more movies. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Next movie is Complete Unknown. As a man contemplates moving to a new state with his wife for a graduate program, an old flame, a woman who often changes identities. Re-entered his life at a birthday dinner party. Tom, this is Alice Manning. Nice to meet you. 
Alice. Alice. Can you imagine just leaving everything behind? You just go off the grid. Well, I know someone who did that. What about you? I'm sorry? Where would you go? Here we are with back-to-back Rachel Weiss. Yes, we barely talked about her in the last one, but she was in it, and she's very good. And mm-hmm. here she is again in Complete Unknown. Um, it's uh, Rachel Weiss and Michael Shannon. Yes. Um, quite, Matt, a, quite a cast. Quite quite a cast. Yo, indeed. Um, and this movie is another one I feel like it benefits a bit from knowing less about the plot. So mm-hmm. if we can err on the side of saying too little, yeah. um, we probably should. Um this movie had kind of an invitation vibe to it. Yeah. There's a bit of a dinner party, mysterious, mysterious stranger, mm-hmm. um, some some subtle tension. Right. And a bit of confusion where you're not exactly sure what's going on uh, mm-hmm. for a bit. Did you see any other similarities between these two? Um, Let me think. Yeah. I mean, like, I think there's that sense of like, okay, somebody, uh, somebody is hiding something. Mm-hmm. You know, what are they hiding? You know, what's the deal? I did think it was weird that some of the people at the dinner party <laughs> actually were reacting more hostily in this yep. than they were in the invitation. In the invitation, that was strange. <laughs> in those circumstances, the invitation are obviously so much worse. Way worse. Um, and in this, you have some people who are really reacting with intense anger toward uh, Rachel Bryce's character um, just for some, some capriciousness of hers. Um, but we can get to that later. I mean, like, okay, well, no. Uh, so Rachel Weiss's character in this film, um, as as Rebecca mentioned in the summary, is a woman who changes her identity all the time mm-hmm. and um, is kind of like just as a big believer in self-invention, just like, well, now I'm going to be this person. Yeah, and, it's, not, it's not like she's necessarily running. It's not like she's causing no, mischief she's not, along the way. No, she's, she's not causing mischief. And... She's just kind of like, well, time to reset. I'm going to be this person now. And that is very whimsical, and I do hate whimsy. And oh, did you think it, you thought it was whimsical? Well, I think that yeah, I think the kind of people who think that they get to decide what their reality is um, are people that I hate. Yeah. Um, so hmm, interesting. yeah, yeah, people who are like, oh, I can just detach from reality and just completely construct my own existence. How is that drag show you work on? Uh, what? <laughs> That's what? That has nothing to do with anything. Wait, isn't isn't that the same thing? No, no, no. Because drag is a performance on a stage. Okay. I'm talking about somebody. I'm talking about people who feel like they're they have the entitlement to actually oh, detach from reality and be I like, well, I'm just going to go do my own thing. I in a life. Yeah, in their life. Gotcha. Okay. I thought I, you were talking about performances oh, in God, general. Oh, God, no, no, I was of course very not. confused. No, no, I love acting. I love performing. Um, like, I, love, I hate acting. Yeah. I don't know why like, I do this exactly. fucking podcast. <laughs> yes, this is a breakthrough I'm having tonight, guys. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm talking specifically about people who feel like they get to just unplug from the world and be like, oh, well, the world's the world, whatever. Mm, I'm going to make my own world. I'm like, oh, go fuck yourself. Well, Are you jealous they're a all, little bit? They're all at Burning Man right now, so it doesn't Are matter. They're jealous? not going to hear this. No, not even a little bit. Do you wish you could I, just stop doing no, what you're doing? Oh, I would rather be plugged into reality. I'm a pragmatist okay uh so yeah so i do so i feel like i would have been one of the friends being like oh yeah well fuck you lady uh so <laughs> so i did kind of relate to like the weirdly pointed friends who were just like oh how dare you because- i recently went to went on a weekend um, with some friends and there was one guy i'd never met before and i was imagining if he had started to act in the way she acted how our friend group would, would, would react and mm-hmm. i don't think we would have been as hostile i think it would have been like Maybe behind his back. Like oh, that behind dude was a the back. Guy. Sure, oh, yeah. Sh- immediately, like, just oh, gar- oh, yeah, yeah. No, we, there have been side texts going on the whole time. Oh, just like, like, what the fuck is this guy's deal? Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't have gotten in her face. But and they also, definitely get in the face, yeah. Yeah, they're, yeah, there's, it's weird. <laughs> it's, it's hostility out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can understand it because she is terrible. <laughs> 
Um, wait, so you didn't have any sympathy for her or? Not especially. I mean, like, I think it's also, I guess it's just occurring to me the extent to which it's kind of like the manic pixie dream girl type thing. Oh, so you, I saw this in way more of a, um, a woman who is very obviously running away from Mm -hmm. like her life and her feelings and not in a way where she's doing it to impress anybody like she has no audience other than this particular moment where she comes right. back and talks to them except for she does ultimately inspire this guy and we see it through his narrative who his oh, eyes as she comes back to town and he's like oh wow like you're really an oh you're a wild child huh you're an outsider you're a rebel even though at first you know he's very hurt and very angry but then you know he kind of like goes along with her and it he, shakes him up for a night mm-hmm. um so and then she hey. vanishes and then she's gone um, that's true so you know so I, I feel like uh, it does kind of have that that MPDG element to it mm-hmm. not to be confused with TLPO or the TLBO <laughs> TL, TL, yes yeah. so we say ticklish lady booby oopsie <laughs> we were abbreviating the light between oceans earlier <laughs> and Jason came up with yes. as his own ticklish lady booby oopsie uh, TLBO <laughs> Um, surprise appearances. So they, they're in this sort of hostile situation. Um, the Michael Shannon's character and Rachel Weiss's character are upset with each other. And then he starts to follow her along because they're introduced to. Yes. To Kathy Bates and Danny Glover. Uh, the cutest couple I've ever seen. Ah, uh, the best, the best. I actually, I remember I had seen the Kathy Bates was going to be in it. And then I forgot that she was in it until she appears in the film well halfway in. And then I was like, Kathy Bates. Such you know. a nice surprise. Oh, always so good to see her. And I feel uh, like that movie, that moment in the movie comes at a place where you're just about to be like, yeah, Should I like, keep watching? Yeah, right. You're on, and then you're that, on the cusp. And then it carries you to the net. They carry you yeah, over the finish line. They do. They do. And I will say this is another one of those movies where it takes a while to start to come into focus what, you, what it is that you're watching. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, then once it does, because I feel like the dinner party, the dinner party is when I, everything starts to come into focus and you start to become intrigued. But the dinner party itself is not until I want to say, like, I don't know, like 15, yeah. 20 minutes into the movie. I forgot about that. I um, forgot there was a whole 15, yeah, 20 minutes Up until before. that point, I'm just like, what the fuck am I watching? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but then Kathy Bates kicks in into, into high gear, and her and Danny Glover have the most adorable chemistry together. They really do. They they play a, a, a couple beautifully. Uh, she also, as she did in About Schmidt, um, shows us some skin, which God love her. I love <laughs> that Kathy Bates will do that. Yep. Um, it is just a, it is it is a very unvain, unglamorous moment in which she pulls the back of her shirt and just allows the camera to film her back. Yeah. <laughs> um, bless her, bless Love her it. heart. She's an inspiration to us, us all. Really. Um. So what? What do you think about this movie? What are you going to give it? You know, I, I I like I like the concept of it. It's a really like you know, even though I've I've given the super cynical manic pixie reading in this in this discussion, like I think the concept is fascinating. I think that Rachel Weiss is a great actor to play the part mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because she doesn't have any of that irritating um, manic pic- uh, sort of twinkle about her. No, absolutely <clears throat> not. No, she's very grave and very beautiful and very she's so beautiful. Oh my god! I mean, like we got to watch her in two movies this week. And very excited. You never get tired of of that face uh oh. she is such a stunner and um but you know and she's also of course an oscar-winning actress and she's incredibly gifted and uh so i think that she was a great actor to to, to cast it because she never really she never is she's never she is incapable of hamming it up she's british mm-hmm. yeah know, she is so she can't ham it up you know she's she's just she's she, she anchors the film michael shannon of course is one of our very greatest actors america's um, anchor america's anchor uh so i think the two of them really lift the film up 
But I feel like the execution is still off. I feel like the execution in the movie fumbles it a little bit because it all gets a little muddled in in, in the execution, in, yeah. the, in the tone, in the filmmaking itself, which is by Joshua Marston, who previously made Maria Full of Grace. I, I know. This was <clears> a long time ago. It was a very long time ago. So you're giving it a... Um, I'm going to give it a consume. Um, it wasn't. I, I, it was definitely not bad enough for me to be just like, ah, send it back. Um, but um, but I think that you know it's there's there's things there to enjoy and you know once you get past the exposition, just like with Light Between Oceans, um, then there's there's a lot there to enjoy. But it's yeah it's also just a it's nothing to rush out and see. Um, consume here too. Um, I feel like you're not exactly sure what the movie is or is trying to be. Is it is it mm-hmm. a romantic um, drama? Is it kind of a thriller? I, c- I couldn't quite tell. So you're like your expectations all over the place, and ultimately I feel like they were let down a bit otherwise it would have given it um something much higher because otherwise i thought it was really great yeah um so yeah giving it a consume uh complete unknown is out now and it's rated r for some language last movie jason Oof. guys the with us we're gonna do this the hollers Let's the hollers a man returns to his small hometown after learning that his mother has fallen ill and is about to undergo surgery uh, to be honest i'm surprised there haven't been more symptoms would loss of sight in one eye be a symptom? Possibly. And temporary paralysis? Definitely. There might have been some symptoms before today. Why wouldn't you get those checked out? He sent me to Jenny Craig. Oh my God. Dad, temporary paralysis? I thought it was a weight thing. It seems like you guys have some stuff to work out. So, man comes back to a small town because his mother has fallen ill. This story sounds very familiar, right, Jason? Yes, and it was familiar to other people at the screening that I saw it at as well. Um, a screening that was um, followed by Q&A with the star and director, John Krasinski, as well as co-star, character actress Margot Martindale. Uh, and uh, during the Q&A afterward, there was a guy in the audience who I felt like maybe was not familiar with how these things are supposed to work and what you should and should not say to somebody. <laughs> um, so this guy he looked young. He looked like mid-20s. Uh, he was like, oh, uh, yeah, hey, um, I was wondering, do you see that movie, This Is Where I Leave You? <laughs> and they were both like, uh, no, didn't see it. Uh and the guy's like, oh, because they're, like, really similar. And, uh, and John Krasinski's like, are you saying the movie's better than mine? You want to step outside? <laughs> He's trying to be funny about it. Um, Oof, but, that's awkward. And the guy was like, oh, no, I mean, I'm not saying that one's better or worse, but, you know, they're just really similar. Uh, it's a thing that it's a thing that plebes do at Q and A's where they like don't know how to actually make a question. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, or, or those of us preparing interview questions, where, <laughs> where we're like, here's an observation. Um, would you care it. to agree with that? <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so it was it was it was awkward because this movie is it is so much every movie that's exactly like that. Mm. Um, and it doesn't transcend it. It just doesn't. Um, it's, you know, and, and, and it's, it, I think I would, I'm like, maybe I would prefer this over. This is where I leave you. Cause that was just, a, oh man, was that disappointing? Especially given the cast, that movie had everybody in it. Uh, although I mean, this, this one kind of does too. This cast is nothing to laugh at. Um, it's like the hippest party we've never been to with, um, Randall Park from Fresh Off the Boat, Richard Jenkins from Six Feet Under, Anna Kendrick, mm-hmm. Charlie Day, Josh Groban. Mm-hmm. Mary Elizabeth Winstead from Ten Cloverfield Lane. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, do any of those stars help? 
help here? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's 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 great seeing all of them. I will say there's one kind of um, distracting casting choice. Charlotte Copley from District 9 and Chappie plays John Krasinski's fuck-up brother. The robot? Uh, <laughs> Chappie's in this movie? Chappie is here. I'm like, I don't Chap- know why we put D. Antwood in this movie. <laughs> Where's like, Yolander? A bit distracting. Um, so, they're always distracting. Uh, no more movies with those guys, please. Uh, no, so yeah, Shoto Copley, the South African actor, uh, plays Krasinski's brother. It's a little distracting, but everyone else is good. I mean, like, these are actors who are always good. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Randall Park and Charlie Dare, they're just going to kind of be funny in little scenes. Um, Richard Kind is another one of our best character actors. Uh, you know, I mean, having Richard Kind and Margaret Martindale play um, a married couple in this film is just, ha- is, is, a, is a recipe to guarantee a beautifully acted married couple. And also a recipe to be like, this is going to break my heart, I bet. Yeah. And it sure does. So is she the, the runaway star here, Margot Martindale? She is so good in this movie. She's like an emotional assassin. Like, she can just target and take out, like, whatever she needs to, to, like, connect with the audience. Like, she will just destroy you in this movie. It's a very, um, very, very butch of you. Very, thank very you. military. I mean, I feel like I felt like that, that makes hours. me. It makes me more. <laughs> it makes me more comfortable talking about emotions if I can put it in military terms. <laughs> I tell it to me in army. <laughs> uh, she is so, so, so good, and it's actually it makes me angry. It makes me angry at the movie for not being better, mm. because if it was better, I feel like she could get a really solid um, supporting campaign going off of it oh wow um because i don't think she, she has not been nominated for an oscar she's a very decorated uh television actor yeah, um she's she is nominated been, right now she for um the americans and she won for the americans she's previously won for years. the americans yeah and she's won before justified, for justified. yeah, yeah. um so i think this could be, this could have been the movie to get her on the map um with an oscar nomination but the movie is just bleh. i mean it's happened before i mean patricia clarkson was nominated for pieces of april in basically the same mm. character um you know cancer stricken mom um so uh but you know it's uh yeah she's fantastic richard kind's fantastic everybody's good john krasinski's good um you know the cast i think there's a certain touch that actors have as directors where they connect just that extra level with their cast Mm -hmm. and since they understand them and they understand their craft um you know from the inside out so uh, correspondingly everybody in this movie is doing really good work is krasinski still ripped they don't show that Oof. They don't show Man, that. All they're working out for yet nothing. Yet again, yet again, they don't. Yeah, they don't. They don't pop off that shirt at any point. Um, I will say in person, um, he looked like a normal man. Mm. Um, but you know, I think that's because he's also. Oh, he didn't take his shirt off at the Q and A. Weirdly, um, even though they it didn't let gave, you gave me the strangest look, my ass for it. <laughs> um, you know, and then as I was being let out of the theater, I was like, "But you did all that work." <laughs> <laughs> and they're dragging. Um, yeah, you as they're dragging me out. Um, but uh, but yeah no um, he is he's very he's very good in the film. So this sounds like like a mixed bag. What? Yeah, it's a mixed bag. Like because so this is like a laughs and tears movie mm-hmm. like to the hilt, and it has some genuinely huge fucking laughs in it, and it has some just gut punches uh, where you know gets me as close to crying as I get. Um, but the stuff, the connective tissue around those moments is just so mediocre. Mm, weak tendons. Yeah, weak, weak tendons. Exactly. Like, I, that's my doctor says I have. And that's why I, <laughs> I know when I see it. You're like, the wrist is not a tendon. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, and then there's also the transparent thing. There's Jason's transparent thing. <laughs> yes. Uh, so this movie makes use of um, its characters singing Closer to Find by the Indigo Girls at a pivotal moment. 
And Transparent Dunn already did that. Jason? Uh, so, you know, Transparent did that when, whenever the second season came out. But of course, I mean, according to John, because that was my question. Oh, you <laughs> I asked, asked about I asked about that song. I didn't ask about Transparent. Oh, okay. um, I was just like, so, you know, Closer to Fun by the Indigo Girls. Why that song? You know, did you have to practice the harmonies? And do you know if they've heard it? Or if they've seen it. And um, because they actually do, he, he and Richard Kind do like the two-part harmony vocal that like Amy and Emily do on the song. And um, and uh, and yeah, he was saying that that was always scripted that way. So, um, and also that this had been in development for a very long time. So I think it's just, just coincidence. Hmm. Um, it's just, I'm sure that when they saw Transparent come out, they were like, damn it. Damn it, yeah. <laughs> because the scene in Transparent of... Um, of Mapa in the car with Gabby Hoffman and Amy yeah, Landecker driving all, women's all driving to women's festival singing closer to find the top of their lungs is just heaven that's just euphoria yeah, that really scene um, what are you giving this one I haven't seen it uh, this is another uh, this is a consume uh, this is this this is a rental I would say like I, I this is a consume moderation I would definitely ca- categorize this I think it's a rental wait for Netflix um, yeah, like a way for Netflix. But I mean, like, this is also a really broad, accessible film. So like, if you enjoy family dramedies with like lots of laughs and lots of tears, you're gonna fucking love this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was just, um, yeah, it was disappointing. And it just didn't transcend the sort of the, um, the formulaic uh, uh, roots that it sprung from. So... So it's getting a consume. Consume. The Hollers uh, is also out now and rated PG-13 for brief language and some thematic material. Thank you for sticking with us so long. Um, next week, we're just going to have a short interview with Justin Tipping, the director from a uh, new movie, Kicks, that'll be coming out next week. Uh, and then after that, we have a break. Jason will be at Toronto. <laughs> Guys, it's that time of year. I'm going back to the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, it is the 41st annual and I will be tweeting up a storm. Um, I last year started a thing where I was doing a tweet review of every movie that I saw as soon as I finished it. I will be doing that again this year. So keep up with me at my Twitter account at excess faggage and, uh, to get all the latest on all the big and small and wonderful and terrible movies that are having their bows at Toronto in the next two weeks. Uh, if you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, uh, whatever your podcast device is. Um, I'm at Fight Balance on Twitter. Thank you so much. Thanks to Joshua Grinnell, Thank our, you, Joshua. our host tonight. Yes. Always a pleasure. And guys, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.